welcome to Prince Track by Track. I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be talking about "She's Always in My Hair" from the B-sides, recorded on the 29th of December 1983, and then also re-recorded a little bit on the 8th of January 1984 at Sunset Sound, um, and then um, some kind of tracking was done again in August 1984 uh, at the Flying Cloud Drive Warehouse in Eden Prairie. Um, on the track, it is Prince, and that's pretty much it. Um, the track itself is 3 minutes 27, though on the single version of Raspberry Beret, there is an extended version on the 12-inch, which is 631, which also has the extended version of uh, Raspberry Beret, which I believe was called Raspberry Beret, the new mix. Mm. Um, and then, for some reason, uh, the 12-inch and the 7-inch were reissued, and Hello was the B-side instead. <laughs> um, so, And then also there was promos that had Raspberry Beret on both the A and the B-side. Um, so I don't know. Obviously, Warner Brothers taken advantage of Prince's uh, success after Purple Rain uh, by releasing a few different versions of that particular single. But this this one was released on the fifteenth of May, nineteen eighty five. Um, and joining me to talk about it today is Victor Azevedo. Hello, Victor. Uh, hey, Darren. I guess you could say it's a ballad, mm. you know, because it, you know it, it, it kind of it, it's very kind of light, um, and it, you know it is just Prince. You have that kind of uh, this is kind of the classic eighty sound. You have like the Lynn drum machine you have kind of um you know a number of um synthesizers going on here and you also have like a you know prince playing a, a guitar riff it kind of feels like a, a classic kind of prince 80s ballad yeah it does indeed so it's just it's an amazing song seriously it's so good yes you know it's kind of uh written about jill jones you know she was around prince at, the, at this kind of uh at this time um and you know obviously prince had been friends with jill for a while um, you know, she was there for the 1999 sessions. Obviously, you know, you hear her on the title track, 1999. Uh, she's in both Purple Rain and Graffiti Bridge. Um, and, you know, Prince kind of apparently sung this song, like, kind of directly at her. Um, and <laughs> and it, it was kind of about their relationship. Um, mm. And, you know, about about how, you know, um, she was she was kind of always around. Um, yeah. which you know I think is is you know the the kind of the the phrase she's always in my hair you know is kind of you know a, a really kind of interesting way of putting that also this is the only song that Prince released that has the word she in the title um, you know so th- th- this is the first time that he's actually referring to a woman in the title you know kind of uh, in the third person <laughs> I feel like we should get into the the lyrics and kind of talk about the, you know the various phrases um, you know, and I, I feel like it starts really strong with the whenever I feel like giving up, whenever my sunshine turns to rain, whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, she's always there telling me how much she cares. She's always in my hair. Mm. Um, and I, each of the each of the verses finish with the, you know, telling me how much she cares. She's always in my hair before we get to the chorus. You know, she's always in my hair, mm. my hair. Um, which is not much of a chorus. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a song that kind of has a lot of verses, basically, that kind of express, um, the, you know, the idea that Prince maybe, um, you know, uh, musically, um, or maybe not musically, but maybe kind of like personally is feeling a bit down mm-hmm. and this is the person who's going to pick him up. Yeah, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a loving and sweet song if you think about it. It's essentially like the connotations about she's always in my hair kind of might sound negative but in this context is the most positive thing in the world she she's like a trusted friend and confidant and she's always going to build him up every time he feels bad she's always there like it's not 
like because they, they had a romantic relationship if I remember correctly. So obviously, yeah. in this context, it's not about the, the romantic relationship. It's just being her being an amazing friend, essentially. Yeah, and I like as well how like you know like the second verse, which is probably kind of like the the part where you know, <laughs> princess. Whenever I feel like not too great at all. You know, like, which is a very kind of roundabout way of saying, you know, maybe like feeling a bit depressed. And it's like, whenever I'm all alone. And then I like where he says, even if I hit the wrong notes. And the way he sings that line as well is kind of, <laughs> you know, really interesting. And then he goes, she's always in my boat. She's always there telling me how much she cares. She's always in my hair. <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I kind of like, you know, the idea that, I mean, like saying, saying the phrase, whenever I'm all alone, like that, in a, like in a kind of a ballad setting, that's like, I mean, I wouldn't say a dark place to go, but it's kind of like an interesting way to kind of, you know, for Prince to phrase it, to be like, you know, if I'm feeling alone, then, you know, or if I'm playing a song and I can't get the right notes, then, you know, she understands this, you know, because she's a musician, Mm. obviously. So Mm. she, she kind of, you know, she tells me how much she cares. And obviously that's the thing that, um, you know, that kind of puts him right, Uh, you know. And, And, you know, then we get to the kind of the middle eight, which I think is kind of interesting because, um, you know, if I was Jill Jones and this was being sung about me, I, I'd be like, hold on a second. You know, you said you said how great I am and how I pick you up and how I understand things. And then you then seem to be kind of expressing this. I don't know. I love it because it's like, maybe I'll marry her. And then there's Prince Echoes with maybe I'll marry her. And he's like, maybe I won't. And then he goes, maybe I will not. Which is, again, that's kind of like an interesting little negative there. And he goes... Uh, let me tell you, if I was a gigolo all my life, she'd still be there telling me just how much she cares. So uh, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the, this is kind of maybe the first mention of of, um, of Prince being a gigolo, which obviously mm. will form the basis of Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah. Um, and and also there's a, a Prince song called Even Gigolos Get Lonely. So mm. uh, I, d- I find it funny that Prince has this kind of weird obsession with gigolos. Um, which mm. you know, I think until the eighties, I don't think anyone in like forty years had talked about gigolos until Prince started bringing no. it back. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I find that middle eight really interesting because you know the idea of him saying maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. Like that's not something you'd usually put in a ballad. Because that's the thing. Because as I said, it's not. This is not really a love. It's not a love love song. It's it's a platonic love song, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably why. But yeah, but as I said, like you've got you've got that line where he goes, "Oh, maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't, or maybe I will not." And it's like, what? Sorry, hold on. Which bit? <laughs> Which bit are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, you know, we get um we get the a kind of a, a guitar solo um just after the middle eight and the you know just after the kind of uh, you know the, the chorus there. And then we kind of, as it as it kind of finishes, it it has this kind of like descending guitar thing. And then Prince comes back in saying, "Listen, whenever I feel like giving up, whenever my sunshine turns to rain, whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, she's always there." And then, so it's basically you know the first kind of verse repeated. Um, but obviously, after you've had the second verse in that middle eight. It, it kind of feels like maybe there's a different kind of feel into it. Um, mm. And then, you know, you, you get the telling me just how much she cares. And you get the kind of, there's also the, the echoes that were in the middle eight are kind of brought back there. And then we get the she's always in my hair, uh, my hair. And then we finish with the song kind of fading out with Prince singing, she's always in my hair. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I, like short and sweet, only, you know, 
on the version that, you know, is on the B-sides, only three minutes, 27. And I'd say like the last kind of 20 seconds of that is fade out. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like as well, it kind of pairs well with Raspberry Beret as the A-side because, you know, Raspberry Beret kind of tells this story of kind of, you know, uh, of two lovers. Yeah. And this is, I mean, like you say, it could be protonic, but there's also could be more there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the fact that this person is always in his hair, you know, yeah. th- like this, this, th- like you say, that could be a negative thing. But the, like the idea of this person always being around to kind of pick him up is also got like, um, you know, qu- quite positive connotations to it. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a, I would say that the song is kind of um, melancholic a little bit. Like if you're if, mm. if you kind of pick a mood for what this is as a ballad, it feels like there's a little bit of melancholy kind of cast over it. Yeah, um, you know, even I mean, the fact that he says maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't like, you know, that is <laughs> that isn't saying to someone, oh, I definitely love you. It's just saying, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll reach the point where neither of us are kind of doing anything else and we'll get married and or maybe we won't, you know, maybe we won't uh, even be friends in like 10 years time. Oh, uh, look, maybe Prince has got one of those. Uh, one of those rom-com kind of things where you know someone says, "Oh, if we don't get married, if we're not married by the age of thirty, we'll get married." Despite the fact they're friends, <laughs> maybe he's got one of those yeah. with Jill Jones. I don't know. Maybe he had a pact <laughs> or something like that. That that could maybe. Not that I'm saying Prince had that pact, but look, it could. <laughs> in the you know, it could yeah. Happen, no, I mean yeah. it's yeah. It's I mean to me, it certainly has that feel of like you know maybe we'll reach a point where both of us aren't doing anything else, and so that will result in marriage. Um, <laughs> you know. But yeah, and uh, you know, this is obviously a song that Prince, you know, he, I mean, you know, it, it was it was clearly one of his favorites. Um, you know, he 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 played it obviously um, on kind of like, um, well, actually, he didn't play it on the Purple Rain tour, I guess, because that t- tour was already full with a lot of other songs. Um, but in the nineties, as the as the B sides came out, he actually kind of brought this song back, and on the Diamonds and Pearls tour. And the and the tour that followed with Symbol, he he started playing it again, uh, and then he you know he kind of dropped it, and towards the end of you know the millennium, he brought it back, and then for the last few years of his you know of his touring, he uh, he played it quite regularly, um, and clearly it was a song that you know must have meant something to him for him to kind of you know essentially bring this B side back and make it part of his set list yeah. for you know for two thousand ten and onwards up to two thousand fourteen. And by the time you get to 2014, you know, he, he's he's playing it with Third Eye Girl. And uh, there was a performance that was on the revived Arsenio Hall show uh, on the 4th of March 2014, where Prince is playing it with Third Eye Girl. And I, I, I thought that was a really kind of enjoyable performance. Mm. Um, you know, even though even though it kind of he's he kind of made it a bit more rocky. Mm. Uh, and so there's kind of more of a rock feel to it. Like it, it doesn't feel as melancholic. It kind of feels yeah. a bit more kind of upbeat. Yeah, uh, but you know, I thought that was a really good kind of performance of it. Yeah, it was too. Like, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, the whole crowd was getting into it as well. I know. Like every time, he yeah. was just yeah. Like everyone was getting like like I've always loved this song. Like I loved it since I first heard it back in the day. So I'm not surprised everyone's getting into it. That's for sure. But yeah, like can we yeah, talk- I was going to say that that audience really kind of like sang along for the yeah. choruses. Yeah. Uh, you know, so clearly it's like you know it's it's obviously a B side that a lot of people really love. Yeah. And um, yeah. and that and that's the thing. Like in my little notes, I've just written a great per, a great perfect B side. Not too sure which album would fit into. It probably fits in the yeah this this stage, probably this this album. But it's just the perfect B side because it's just it's a great song that's kind of a throwaway song, but it's not that throwaway. It's actually really really good. And probably if anyone else performed it, it would be you know. It'd be a it'd be a good single, but yeah. And like, and also, can we yeah. talk about the twelve inch version? Because the twelve inch version is great. 
is the most relentless. Yeah, no, so- go for it. Yeah, because it's like the most <laughs> relentless song because it basically keeps going, and it's kind of like this stream of consciousness, and then it keeps on going, and just. No new lyrics, just basically the chorus and other bits and pieces, little bits of guitar. And then at the end, it's just this the drum machine going ballistic. It just go and then going up and going up and then stopping and then a little like tambourine or some like percussion instrument just goes clink and that's it. And that's how it just yeah. goes up. So it just builds up, builds up, builds up and just goes out. It's done with that little clink. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, because like I'm like uh, I, I had to put the seven inch version onto my phone because I've always got the twelve inch version on my phone because I prefer it, <laughs> even though it's a lot longer. But yeah, I prefer that version than the uh, seven. But the seven inch is still good, obviously. Interestingly enough, and this is going to sound like a, a weird kind of detour, but um, the film Scream Two um, opens with "She's Always in My Hair." as performed by D'Angelo. And now, obviously, D'Angelo was one of the very few artists that Prince actually, you know, by name said that, you know, he enjoyed this person's work. Uh, And obviously, if you you wanted to cover a Prince song, um, you you had to get Prince's permission. And so, obviously, D'Angelo must have, you know, spoken with Prince uh, and got his permission to cover She's Always In My Hair. Mm. Um, And the version that D'Angelo does is basically close to the extended version that Prince Mm. does. Yeah. Um, but you know, like it, it, when it when it's uh, when it, when D'Angelo's singing it, um, for a start, it's it's definitely not like a gentle ballad. No. Like it starts with this kind of really kind of hard guitar riff, and that is basically the opening of the film Scream Two. If you've ever seen Scream Two, you've heard that like opening kind of guitar riff, Ooh. and then it kind of it's a little bit kind. Of, I mean, it's roughly the same kind of tempo, mm. but it's just a, a more hard edged version of the song. Um, and you know, D'Angelo does a lot of kind of like vocal workouts over the top of it that the Prince, you know, yeah. didn't really do. Yeah. Um, and you know, it is kind of a more of a kind of contemporary R and B version of the song. Yeah. Um, and Could- I remember watching, I remember watching Scream Two and hearing like that that kind of opening, and then hearing someone singing, you know, whenever I'm feeling. You know, like like listening to the the, the opening lyrics and thinking, where there is that a is that? A, of course, by the time I've re- realized where it is, the song's already like faded out underneath, and you know, Scream Two is already happening. Mm. Um, you know, and and so kind of you're like you're already into the film, but then I, but you know, I, I just kind of like the idea that you know, in 1987, you know, here is a a Prince song opening up like a horror film. I mean, it's <laughs> like yeah. a really weird kind of direction. Yeah, and it's like he's kind of slowed it down a smidge too. It's like the way because he's just dropped his voice really a lot lower than what Prince would do, and so it sounds very common ominous, which kind of makes sense when it's in Scream too. Yeah, because like the original song is kind of very light and lot lot. Yeah, it's really light where this song is very ominous and something's gonna happen, which obviously something's gonna happen because it's in Scream too. But yeah, it's just it, yeah. As I said, I didn't realize because you you sent me the song. And I didn't realize it fit into Scream 2. And it's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Because I didn't realize that the reason why he slowed it down and made it sound more ominous is because it's in a horror movie, of course. Yeah. It makes sense. So it sense. Um, and, and, you know, what's even weirder is, you know, like um, if anyone recalls the opening of Scream 2, um, you have Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps um, who are going to see, you know, Stab, which is, you know, the film based on Scream. And they kind of get into a discussion about how they don't want to see this film. And, you know, she wanted to go and see the Sandra Bullock film that was playing down the road. And, you know, there's everyone dressed as Ghostface and kind of running around. And, you know, like, does it, 
like it's a very kind of like over the top starting to the film because obviously you know they both end up murdered at this cinema um but but mm. just the fact that while they're in the queue D'Angelo singing she's always in my hair is playing underneath <laughs> it's always such a weird thing for me because i'm just like that's such a weird kind of like opening for this particular film um you know and and i'm just like um you know okay uh, and then also in the film you have um, Your Lucky Day in Hell by um, uh, Your Lucky Day in Hell should I say by Eels uh, which also kind of then after the main kind of you know after the main titles open that's the next song that you like hear um, and I was also a fan of Eels at the time and I was just like this is a really weird film <laughs> like they started out with a D'Angelo covering a Prince song and then they've gone to like a song by Eels and I'm just like this is mm. like you know just in terms of the music choices it's kind of really kind of odd um you know yeah. so i mean yeah I, I, like you say it is kind of more ominous um you know and it does kind of it, to me it kind of it really it does fit with like being in a horror film but at the same time it's interesting mm. that you can take yeah. this kind of light ballad and kind of make it fit into a horror film <laughs> i don't know but at the same yeah. time obviously prince must have approved of that cover version because otherwise it wouldn't have happened mm. Um, you know, yeah. so I think but I think I, it's interesting to think of Prince sitting there, like watching the opening of Scream Two and being going, "Yeah, okay, all right, you can use my my song for this." <laughs> I don't know. I think you've sold me to watch. I might watch Scream Two in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> and I think you've sold me because I just want to see that those two bits because I reckon it sounds really interesting. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, it fits well. But yeah. and then there was a, a cover version that I'd say is is closer to what Prince did, um, done by done by the uh, the group. That were known as something for the people, uh, missing the G there off mm. uh, something, um, and they were kind of like a a, a three piece, like a contemporary R and B group in in the mold of like a you know a boys to men, um, and you know they they had like a, an album out in nineteen ninety three their debut, and then they had uh, their their second album called This Time It's Personal. I don't know why it wasn't personal the first time, <laughs> um, but apparently this time it is personal. Um, and you know, on 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 that album, they have um, you know quite a few kind of cover versions, um, including um, uh, you know something that uh, a song called "I Got Love," which samples some Suzanne Vega. Uh, but they did a straight cover of "She's Always in My Hair." Um, and when I mean a straight cover, I mean they're pretty much doing exactly what Prince did, just without the kind of Lindrum yeah. machine and the the kind of guitar sound that he had, um, you know. And I, I mean, you know, if you imagine a a group, uh, you know, of three uh, adult males singing "She's Always in My Hair" uh, in a kind of contemporary R and B '90s style, then pretty much that is what yeah. the song is. <laughs> like, it is exactly yeah. what you think yeah. it is. Yeah, and it's pretty terrible. It's like they've taken the actual soul out of the song, despite yeah, it just seems like it's very vanilla. That's the right way. Yeah, to say. I mean, it, it just yeah, there work. is kind of there is kind of like that kind of very polished production that you know a lot of kind of like nineties R and B had, uh, you know, which is you know the the whole point of the the Prince version is it has this kind of very specific sound, you know, and that guitar is very kind of specific, and the you know the drum machine is very specific, like everything in it sounds like kind of very particular and um, you know not kind of like rote or anything, whereas this version does feel just yeah. kind of like very generic. Um, and it came yeah. out in 1997 and, and, you know, that particular group, something for the people, they broke up three years later after releasing one more album. So, um, okay. you know, I mean, I, I don't think they did anything wrong with it. It's just like, 
you know, it feels like it has to be a, a song sung by a single person because you have to feel like yeah. you're getting their thought. Whereas having like a group mm. sing it means it's like, well, whose hair is she in? And who is, she, you know, who <laughs> out of you is depressed and is being uplifted by this person? Like it just kind of makes it a bit muddy. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of the intent. Yeah, like, especially compared to the other cover. The other cover is, like, a million times better, right? And then it... Because he's actually changed it, where this one, it's just basically they've just ripped all the soul out of the song. It just kind of sounds... As I said, it just sounds a bit meh, yeah. if that's the right way to say it. I mean, for Prince, then, we would have to say... I mean, I'm definitely going to say five out of five. I don't know how you feel about it, Victor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel the same. Yeah. I definitely feel the same. We're not going to get an argument at this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, you know, obviously, Prince must have loved this song because, you know, for the last few years that he was touring, you know, he played it pretty much quite regularly. Um, you know, and obviously... You know, I mean, the D'Angelo version, I feel, is like a really good cover version, you know, because it, it kind of takes it in a different direction and, you know, it feels really good. So, um, you know, just, you know, a, a really enjoyable song, um, you know. Uh, so I feel like we've said as much as we possibly can about She's Always In My Hair. So let's go to any plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Victor? Uh, an English comic um, called Richard Herring. He has this really weird, surreal thing called the Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre Podcast or a Hellestopper as he always says in the whole podcast. It's really weird. It's an interview. Uh, it just, like, it, you think it's going to go one way and it just goes on a million tangents and it's just weird. It takes a couple of listens to get into his kind of comedy if you haven't heard of him, but it is definitely a must listen. So, yeah, uh, Red Holster, that's the one to check out. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track or you can follow us on Twitter at Prince Podcast um, or you could... Um, Email us, not sure why you would, at princestrikebytrack at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Victor. All right, thanks, Darren. And otherwise...